back to a brand new episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries. Here on this podcast, we discuss various topics like pop culture, news, politics, and more. And I am the host of this podcast, and my name is Shakira. Now, if you are new here, welcome and go ahead and subscribe. Hit the subscribe button so you'll be notified every single time we have a brand new episode, which usually is every Tuesday at 9 a.m. this week. Your girl was slipping, and I was slipping because last week was FAMU's homecoming. I graduated from FAMU, which is, in my opinion, the best HBCU in the nation. And our homecoming was last week, so, you know, I was celebrating, turning up a little too much, and didn't get to record an episode. And then by the time the new week came around, um, as you will see later on in the episode, I didn't want to just throw something together to just give you because this topic today as you all know we are in the middle of blacktober which is where we are covering black issues that are affecting the black community um not so much like what we usually do which is like self-care talking about issues self-development and things of that nature this month we're just strictly focusing on learning and addressing issues that are specific to the black community anyway as you'll see that was a long way of saying that this week's topic um i didn't want to just throw something together because it is a lot to this topic so i didn't want to like half a it to be honest so that is why we are you know a day late and a dollar short but that's okay because we are here now go ahead and subscribe and if you are not new here thank you for coming back to listen to a brand new episode you all know how this goes we're going to have our carefree updates and then we'll hop into the topic Now, first things first in this carefree update, I want to read you all this article from CNN. Now, the first time that I heard about this happening was a few days ago via Twitter because y'all know I'm always reading the latest on Twitter. Okay, I can't help it. So anyway, this is the article and it said, I mean, while I'm reading this, I want you to really think about this, right? And I want to know what you think. So here's the article. DeAndre Somerville says he's a man of faith and everything happens for a reason. So what exactly was the reason Somerville had to spend 10 days in a Florida jail after he overslept and missed jury duty other than a judge thinking it was the appropriate sentence? God was showing him that this is somewhere you never want to go, Somerville told HLN's Lynn Smith in an interview on The Story. It was a wild, wild ride, he said, of his jail time. I saw some things I didn't want to see. One of his bunkmates had a seizure, and he saw a man get beat up in the fight. The first thing that crossed his mind when Judge John, do not know how to pronounce his last name, handed down his sentence was his disabled grandfather. I'm about to go to jail for 10 days, and that means 10 days I'm not going to be able to help my family and not be able to help my granddad. So this guy is 21. He's from West Palm Beach, Florida. And last month, after he missed a civil trial, and he did not call the court and explain what happened, the judge um, found him in contempt and decided that he should go to jail for 10 days, I guess, and gave him, you know, immediately, you know, in this decision, a year of probation. And I believe that they said it was like 250 hours of community service that the judge ordered for him. So eventually everything was like thrown out. But what really bothered me about this, I mean, for one, oversleeping 
And for that sentence to be given to him for oversleeping and missing jury duty really blew my mind. But also what really blew my mind as well was the judge's explanation as to why he gave him that sentence. And he said, you know, after all of this happens, the judge is like, yeah, I know that he has been totally rehabilitated. Rehabilitated from what? Oversleeping? what are you talking about and I just I'm very curious to know that if this was the judge's son or even his nephew would he have felt that that boy would have needed to be rehabilitated and you know I did not say it but I feel like it goes without saying that the judge is white and the guy who got the sentence is a young black guy and I can't help but feel like a part of the reason that this happened is because of his race um the guys Somerville DeAndre's race and also in a clip I saw the judge talking he was like you know he's one of the only African-Americans or maybe he said the only African-American and he needed to be a representative on the jury are you serious like I'm not gonna spend too much time on this but this is the kind of stuff that happens all the time. And usually it like kind of goes unnoticed and it's swept under the rug. But people have really been trying to hold these people accountable when things like this happen and, you know, go viral on social media and stuff. I hate what. OK, what confuses me the most? Not confuses me, but I'm I don't disappointed is the wrong word to say, you know, he is a man of faith, the guy, DeAndre. So I understand him equating his faith with what happened to him, you know, and saying that everything happens for a reason. I get it. I get it. But it was wrong. Like, I hope he does not feel like the judge was in the right on this because he absolutely positively was not you can have faith and believe in god you know that's fine but wrong is wrong and right is right you overstep now granted i will say that if he did not call and let them know why he missed it he was wrong in that sense but he still did not deserve a year of probation 10 days in jail and 200 or 300 hours of community service like that is ridiculous now, almost in relevant news, I'm sure you all have heard that the police officer Amber Geiger, who shot Botham Jean, I really hope I'm saying his name right, Botham Jean, in his own apartment um, in Dallas, was convicted of murder and she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. If you aren't familiar with this story, she is was a Dallas police officer and she claimed that in the apartment building that she and Botham Jean lived in, you know, she got off on the she was allegedly very sleepy. She got off on the wrong floor. Some kind of way the door was not locked and it was kind of open. So she goes in and feels like there's this intruder. Mind you, he's sitting on his sofa eating ice cream and she shoots and kills him and instead of you know calling for help or trying to you know resuscitate him she is you know pacing back and forth worried about her job 
afraid that she's going to get fired instead of worrying about somebody's life right there in front of her. So she was convicted of murder, 10 years in prison. Do I feel like 10 years is enough? No, not at all. You walked in somebody's apartment and killed them. And then to say that you thought that it was your apartment. See, my issue with that is you know, I don't care how tired you are. You know when you're not in your house. I have been in apartments where I live, where they are all set up the exact same way, um, where there is the same furniture. But even still, if I walked in, and I don't even live there, but if I walked in someone else's apartment and not my friend's apartment, who I've maybe been to three times, I'm still going to know that that's not their apartment. And the thing about your home is you know how your home smells, whether it's conscious or subconsciously, your home has a smell. Everyone's home has a smell. Now, when she opened that door, I know she sniffed. You can tell that that is not your house. They also said that there was a mat on the ground. You know that that is not your house. He was sitting on a sofa. You know that that is not your sofa. Anyway, 10 years in prison. Now, the crazy thing about this case is that one of the key witnesses who testified in the trial was shot and killed two or three days ago. So allegedly he was shot in the mouth and in the chest. His mother said that he had no known enemies. He wasn't in any trouble or anything like that. Um, so Y'all know what I think this is. Y'all know what I think this is. But the police chief came out, not even the police chief. They had um, the assistant chief, I guess. That's what his official title is. He came out yesterday and they did like a press conference and everything. And he was saying that they found two of the murderers, two out of three of them. And allegedly that the shooting occurred because they came all the way from Louisiana to Dallas to buy some weed now let's think about that you drive from louisiana to dallas to buy some weed like first of all i don't know any drug dealers that would agree to testify in a case as big as this one no one in their right mind right two he was shot in the mouth which i feel like was a clear sign you know and then also one of the neighbors who recorded it was fired from her job you know in like all of this is transpiring around this case so not only is one man's life taken but another man's life is taken as a result of this even though the police allegedly say that this is from three people that drove from louisiana to dallas to get some weed from him Whole another story for a whole another day. I don't know who is going to drive from Louisiana to Dallas to buy some weed. Mm-mm, I don't know. But just, I feel, I feel like it's a cover-up. I'm going to be honest. I feel like it's a cover-up to look out for them. And until I see some solid, solid, solid evidence that tells me otherwise, that's what I'm rolling with for now. In other news... Montgomery, Alabama just elected their first black mayor. His name is Stephen Reed, and he won the 
majority black city known as a flashpoint struggle for civil rights. So I am happy for him and his family. I hope that they do not give him a hard time. I said the same thing when Barack won and what did they do give him a hard time. But I hope that he just stays prayed up and knows that this too shall pass. And I'm glad because, you know, it's 2019. They're getting their first black mayor. I hope that he is an example for little boys and little girls of color in Montgomery and not just in Montgomery, but all over Alabama to know that they too can do it. And Montgomery has so much history um, with the civil rights movement and slavery. So I just know that the ancestors are elated right now. Now, something that I was really excited to talk about was the opening, the grand opening of Tyler Perry Studios. So it has been open for a while, but I guess they just finished a few pieces of it because I know that they've shot quite a few movies there already. So maybe it was just like, you know how something is already open, but, you know, just a grand opening for the public. And he voted, not voted, girl, what are you talking about? He invited, I mean, all of our past and present um people we've been watching on tv jada and will were there beyonce was there kelly michelle um cicely tyson denzel washington and his wife pauletta washington let me give her name her name is pauletta washington not denzel's wife spike lee was there um and some of them got sound stages named after them Whoopi Goldberg was there oh my gosh it was just so many people and I was just like uh literally on my Instagram watching the videos Ava DuVernay was there I'm just thinking of everybody as I'm talking and I watched the tour of the compound on Ava's Instagram story and I literally was fighting back tears because it was just so inspiring to watch it was motivating to watch and it made me really emotional because it's one thing when people say, you know, if you can dream it, you can do it. If you can dream it, you can do it. But to actually see it be done and to see it be done so well just made me so overwhelmed and emotional. Um, and he, excuse my French, he did the damn thing, y'all. Like he has a, you know how in Hollywood they have the walk of fame where you know people get stars on the walk of fame he has stars at his studio with the names of black actors and actresses Tika Sumter China McClain you remember when she was a little girl acting on daddy's girls with her sisters she got a star like so many people got stars and it just it, I felt so good because so many of them may never get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But here they are in Atlanta, one of the black metropolitans, and they have a star that is surrounded by other black people with their stars. And it's just, I'm emotional even thinking about it now. Like, it, it was so beautiful to watch. And one day, I'm claiming it now, I am affirming it now that I will be there, okay? I will be working there. I will be filming there. I am claiming that right now. I am releasing that into the atmosphere. And I accept that coming into my story, into my presence but it was just so amazing, y'all. I screen recorded the tour from Ava's 
Instagram story because I just want to be able to like go back and watch it. So if you are, you know, if you have not seen any of that, which I doubt it, you probably have been under a rock if you haven't seen any of that. You can definitely search on Instagram or um, Google, you know, Tyler Perry Studios, and you'll be able to see pictures of you know the new studio now one thing about this studio is it is on 330 acres now not only is it on 330 acres it is bigger than all the other major studios warner brothers studios is on 110 acres paramount pictures is on 62 acres fox studios is on 53 acres and walt disney studios is on 51 acres all of those Warner Brothers, Paramount, Fox, and Walt Disney Studios could fit inside Tyler Perry Studios. And that is crazy to me. And he did an interview and he was saying um, that, you know, not only is his goal to create movies and film, you know, for us, by us, but also on this compound, he wants to have, you know, apartments and places to stay for women who are abused lgbtq youth who are kicked out of their homes or displaced and don't have anywhere to go he wants to have nice apartments you know not just some shabby stuff but nice apartments for them to not only live but also be able to learn the business while they are living on the lot so that they can be self-sufficient and go forth and do their own thing and that is i mean that is beautiful absolutely beautiful and if you are not inspired by that something is wrong all right so let's have our break right here and then we'll be back with our topic of the day okay so before we dive into the topic one thing that I need to say I just got home from the recording studio so this is after I have finished recording the episode I realized you know I'm laying in bed and I realized you were saying systematic the entire time (laughs) instead of saying systemic so in this episode you're going to hear me say systematic racism I meant systemic players mess up my bad okay so don't go in on me don't go in on your girl just pretend I was saying systemic okay just pretend for pretend sake have mercy on me now for real for real for real for real this time welcome to the topic so being that this is blacktober I told you all that we are going to be talking about black issues affecting the black community as a whole last week we talked about what is misogynoir I almost said misogynoir is it misogynoir misogynoir I told y'all last week it's hard for me to you know say that word my country tries to jump out on me sometimes so we talked about that last week which is basically where race and sex meet or intersect and affect black women so not only are you discriminated against or hated basically which i mean it's basically the hatred of black women if we're being completely honest um not only are you discriminated against or hated because of your race but it's also you have another factor just layer on top of that which is your gender so misogynoir you know it affects black women and black women only but um mostly 
it is carried out by black men but anyway we talked about that last week if you have not listened to that feel free to listen to that after this podcast episode is over okay stay here for this one because this week we are talking about systematic racism now systematic racism can also be referred to as institutional racism they are one in the same so if you hear me you know switch sometimes if you hear me say systematic racism and then five minutes later you hear me say institutional racism they're the same thing so i may be you know switching back and forth while i'm talking about this so there are a few definitions out there for systematic or institutional racism and i wanted to share a few of them about three or four with you so the first definition was developed by sociologist joe fagan and he defines it as Systematic racism includes the complex array of anti-black practices, the unjustly gained political economic power of whites, the continuing economic and other resource inequalities along racial lines, and the white racist ideologies and attitudes created to maintain and rationalize white privilege and power. Systematic here means that the core racist realities are manifested in each of society's major parts remember that we're going to come back to that each major part of u.s society being the economy politics education religion the family reflects the fundamental reality of systemic racism so if you all don't know ben and jerry's has been on a kick um over the past two years with really like using their voice and privilege as a brand to highlight and bring awareness to certain issues and one of the issues they have been highlighting is systematic racism so they did a spotlight on it and in their words it is defined as racism that infects the very structure of our society is called systematic racism and the most simplest of all the definitions i found was that systematic racism is what blocks opportunities for people of color now in my own words systematic or institutional racism to me is the disenfranchisement of people of color by those that are privileged you can say in our society and this is carried out through various institutions that we come in contact with every single day so we're going to take a look at six different institutions that keep systematic oppression or racism in full effect and i will try to give you some past examples and some ways that these institutions are still carrying out systematic racism today in the modern world i'm using modern in air quotes so as we go through these different institutions you will be able to see how all of them work together in some way or another to further another institution so we will have more on that a little later so the first institution we're going to talk about is the wealth gap or wealth in america so we talk about the wealth gap a lot we hear about the wealth gap a lot usually we start hearing about it more when it's campaign season and it's time for someone else to get elected we started talking about the wealth gap so when we're talking about it i don't think we put enough emphasis on the numbers per se like we hear politicians say you know we need to close the wealth gap blah 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 blah. and i think not everyone i was gonna say everyone that's a lie everyone does not want to see the wealth gap close but i think for the most part if you're listening to me you 
probably do want to see the wealth gap close so we agree on that much but when they are talking they rarely give us numbers to support that statement of saying we need to close the wealth gap so allow me to give you some numbers so according to one study white families hold 90 percent of the national wealth we're talking about america here latino families hold 2.3 percent and black families hold 2.6 percent of the national wealth now not only that but when the great recession hit minority families it hit particularly hard um and the wealth gap has increased significantly over the years so think about this for every 100 dollars white families earn in income black families earn 57 dollars and 30 cents let me say it again for every 100 dollars white families earn in income black families earn just 57 dollars and 30 cents almost 50 percent of that so here is another one for single black Americans, the median wealth is 200 to 300 dollars compared to 15,000 dollars to 28,000 dollars for single white Americans. Let me say that again. Even though I hate to say it again. The median wealth for black single black Americans is ranges from 200 to 300 dollars compared to 15,000 range to 28,000 for single white Americans and that information came from CNN's business section now if that sounds terrible to you what I'm about to say is gonna sound even worse it has been estimated that by the year 2053 which it may sound like it's a long way from now but y'all 2020 is in three months it's not that far think about when you were a kid I know I was a kid in the 90s and I thought 2019 was so far away like it was going to be like Xenon when I was watching Disney Channel and we were going to have flying well cars are pretty (laughs) advanced now but I said that to say that it's not that far but by 2053 they estimate that the net worth for black women is going to be negative in the negative So zero dollars and less in net worth compared to, I believe the study said about two hundred thousand dollars for white women. That's a problem. That is a problem. So I think when we have these conversations, a lot of time people say, well, we need to get educated. You need to go to school. You need to get your degree. But the thing about that is student loan debt. We borrow money to help pay for our education because the cost of education is ridiculous here in the United States. So I'm going to read you a section of this article that I found, which was very helpful in explaining this. So a section says the latest Federal Reserve Board survey of consumer finances shows that a black person with a bachelor's degree has a median net worth that is only two thirds of the median net worth of a white person with no bachelor's degree. All right, let that sink in. So on top of that, 
Student loan debt has delayed the wealth building dreams of many educated African Americans. The National Center for Education Statistics, or the NCES, noted that an estimated 77.7% of black students borrow federal student loans to pay for higher education, as opposed to 57.5% of white students. Studies continuously show that black students are more likely to go in debt in order to live the dream of walking across the stage as a college graduate. Highly relatable for me. I had to, well, when I went to college from high school, um, I didn't have to pay because I had a full ride scholarship. I graduated as a valedictorian of my my senior class. So I had a full ride to go to FAMU. I lost that scholarship my soft, the end of my sophomore year or midway my sophomore year. And I've talked about this before. And it was something that I used to be very ashamed of. I never wanted to talk about it. It made me extremely sad. But now I'm past and I'm over it, sis. So I lost my scholarship because um, my major was business administration. And at FAMU, when you were a business student, you had to take a class you had to take four accounting classes and the third accounting class was intermediate accounting <laughs> i took the class the first time did not pass it i took the class the second time with the same teacher because the way the school was set up there were two teachers that taught that class and one of them was for accounting students and one was for non-accounting students and being that I was a non-accounting student I was taking that one teacher right so I had to take him a second time didn't pass the class again now before y'all go in on me I was not the only person that was failing this class there were several other students not saying that it's right that were failing this class with this teacher and you would think that the administration would have saw something wrong with that but you know maybe like a red flag or something go up but apparently not because I think he still works there so you know when I felt it the second time that's when I lost my scholarship because it dropped my GPA it wasn't like so low but it was low um it went under 3.0 I think it was like 2.8 or something so I was like all right I can't take him for a third time so I ended up taking the class that was strictly for accounting students so I'm thinking oh my gosh if I can't pass the non-accounting you know teacher how am I gonna pass the accounting teacher y'all when I tell y'all I passed that class with like I don't know if it was an A if it wasn't A it was a B and I was just like how houseway how how like to me you know I'm not even gonna go there anyway um I lost my scholarship and then I had to start taking out student loans and of course you know I'm in graduate school now so I took out student loans to pay for that and it has been hard I'm not going to lie a few months ago I made the mistake of going on the FAFSA website just to see how much I was going to have to pay back after I graduated. And since I was in a funk for like a week, because just looking at that amount of money and granted, it is definitely not as much as I've heard other people say they have to pay back. But it was just still very discouraging because it makes you think, you know, I have to pay all this money back. Where am I going to get this money from? But after talking to um, a friend of mine who I went to FAMU and FSU with, she made me feel very encouraged um, over homecoming when she came back to visit about, 
you know, student loan. She was telling me some things that I could do post-graduation. But anyway, I said all of that to say that we are taking out loans to pay for school because they tell us to go to school to get educated. And granted, things are changing now um, as far as education in America and do you need a bachelor's degree? Do you need a master's degree um, to be successful? I can't be the judge of that, honestly, truly, because, it, I mean, I think it just depends on what you want to do. Ultimately, I think there are a bunch of avenues now that were not available 10 years ago or even two years ago um, to us, you know, or other people, too, like, there's so much that has happened with the development of technology. I think if you can find a niche and get really good at it, maybe you don't need a degree. But are you going to be dedicated enough to make that shake? Are you going to be able to make it happen? But that's something you just have to ask yourself and no one can really give you the answer to that. I don't regret going to college, undergrad or grad school because I have learned and grown so much through both of those processes so personally I don't regret it but if it's something that you're thinking about you're just gonna have to like make that decision on your own <laughs> but I gave you my two cents and you can take that around with it so being that we are taking out loans at a higher rate than our white counterparts and I believe that a part of that is because they have access to more wealth you know their parents are able to pay for their education out of pocket my parents were not fortunate enough or you know to be able to do that for me and I'm not hating on anyone whose parents are able to do that because let me tell you something right now I plan to be so financially stable one day that my kids prayerfully will never have to take out a loan and deal with that stress in the future so that is one thing and that wraps up into you know the education system and the education system is another institution that we deal with systematic racism so let's talk about that so when we talk about systemic racism systematic if i've been saying systematic i'm sorry systemic Racism. I tell y'all the country be jumping out on me. Okay, so if we talk about systemic racism and we talk about it, you know, in terms of education, there's so much that goes into that because for one, many schools, public schools are funded. They get funding through property tax, which is the neighborhoods that they are located in. And you're about to see real soon how all of these institutions work together to further perpetuate institutional racism. So if the schools are funded by property tax, meaning the neighborhoods that they are in, the neighborhoods that they are close to, the taxes from those houses is what's funding those schools, right? If the schools are in poor neighborhoods, nine times out of 10, you're going to have students there that are minorities, um, black or poor, white, Latino, Hispanic, you know, who don't have the funds to send their children to either a private school or a charter school or to live in a neighborhood that has a school there 
that is funded you know through the property tax of the nicer homes around it which is why we have cases where black mothers are being jailed for you know listing a different address than their own address because they're just trying to send their kids to another school a better school for better opportunities but that's another conversation for another day so being that these public schools are funded that way you know, if you don't have as much funding coming in via property tax, of course, you're not going to have the latest books. You're not going to have the latest computers. You're not going to have the latest software. A lot of times the teachers are unlicensed or lack the skill set to communicate ideas and really educate these children on the things they need to learn because they aren't getting paid enough in I hate to say it, but the schools that are getting proper and adequate funding via the nice quotes neighborhoods are not willing to hire teachers that are inexperienced or don't know what they're talking about. Okay, which is why I am super hard on my friends who graduated from FAMU and went on to teach. I ran into one during homecoming and I was telling him because I believe this is his second year teaching and he was telling me how frustrated he gets sometimes with the students and I asked him I said is your class predominantly black or white you know and he said it's predominantly black and I told him you know you can't get frustrated with those students yes you know I ain't gonna lie some of them aggravating all right I have nieces and nephews a lot of them okay but you can't get aggravated with them because some of them are dealing with issues at home that they come to school with and they just express themselves through their behavior because they can't do it at home. And I was telling him when I was younger, you know, I still have teachers today that I just thank God for. I literally say it all the time, but I went to an all-black school from kindergarten, my, well, my preschool, too, was all-black, and it was in the hood, it was on Houghton Street, uh, it was in smack dead in the middle of the hood, and I had great educators there, I had great educators from K-12 through at the one school I went to that was all-black, I didn't have my first white teacher until, when did I have her? high school I think ninth grade and she came to teach um I don't know girl it was one of the math classes but you know I didn't have my first white teacher until then and we had teachers that cared about us so that's why I'm always telling my friends you know care about your students don't look at it as just a check even though you know teachers are underpaid but think about the impact that you are going to have on these children's lives and most of the time if you're a good teacher they're going to remember you forever think about your good teachers those that spoke life into you those that encouraged you those that were hard on you because they believed in you i'm sure that you're thinking of a few of them right now you remember their name that's how much of an impact you can have on a child's life so that's why i tell my friends all the time so even if they are at schools that are underfunded i know sometimes teachers have to come out of pocket and pay for stuff which is why i'm all for um, young, especially young teachers, you know, doing GoFundMe or getting on social media and saying, y'all, I need help buying stuff in my classroom. If I got it to give, I'm going to give it because you're really, in my opinion, doing the Lord's work. I know I couldn't be a teacher. I couldn't be in the classroom, but I commend everyone who is because 
you really are playing a special role in society and you are bringing up the next generation, our future leaders. And that sounds so cliche, but it is absolutely true. So in addition to, you know, property taxes being able to fund these schools, you also have to think about, you know, aside from aside from, you know, books and computers and things like that, they also, you know, the schools in rich or better neighborhoods have better extracurricular activities. They have SAT prep and ACT prep. And that is why we have to do better about going back to those poor schools or schools that are in districts or locations that, you know, serve minority youth or students that, you know, aren't well equipped I guess I was saying I feel like even that is poor wording poor word choice but we have to go back and you know help them with ACT prep we have to help them with SAT prep and not just you know to get paid but just so that they will know that people care about them and know that there are people out there who have been in their spot and they can do it too. Like I remember when I was in high school and we would have people come down from the university from FAMU and they would do, you know, little after school programs with us. And it made such a difference, not only in my life, but in my classmates lives as well, because we were like, oh, we're going to be like that when we go to college, we're going to be like that. Now, granted, out of my class, I think only three of us finished but that's another story for another day okay so we have to really do better about education so the wealth gap also plays a part in that because when our parents and grandparents didn't have access to capital because banks were denying loans to them through redlining which we're going to talk about next from another institution um that plays a huge part in you know why they weren't able to live in better neighborhoods or have access to nice houses and able to send their children on to get better educations from these schools that are properly funded so that you know the wealth gap education you see how it overlaps now let's talk about how another institution which is housing discrimination overlaps into that as well so you heard me say redlining so redlining i'm talking a little fast let me slow down girl i'm getting excited so redlining was back in the day now even me saying back in the day is like it wasn't that far back in the day is still very much so happening just i believe last year or two years ago they found that it was still alive and well in chicago redlining was being used to discriminate against people living in certain areas Now, hold on for a second, because I forgot to give you all some stats that I found and I they deal with education. So I apologize, but I really want to let you all know these. So. okay, Let me see. I'm trying to find them. All right. So uh, when we talk about systemic racism or institutional racism in education just know that we are not just talking about you know property tax and funding of schools and things of that nature we're also talking about how children are dealt with when it comes to behavioral in quotes um issues that they may be having or other you know lifestyle issues that they're dealing with in school so ben and jerry's also did a spotlight on this under their systemic racism um you know 
information bit of information that they released not too long ago so this is what they said also a part of the experience apparently is racism it turns out that black students are more are much more likely to be suspended from preschool than white students they make up 18 percent of all preschoolers but represent almost 50 percent of all preschool suspensions compare that to white kids who make up 43 percent of all preschool enrollment yet represent 26 percent of those receiving suspensions so why is this happening a recent study might shine some light on what's going on. It found that black boys as young as 10 are routinely perceived to be significantly older and less innocent when compared to white boys of the same age. In our society, the suspension of guilt follows people of color throughout their lives. Another stat they have is that black students represent 19% of students with disabilities and a ridiculous 36% of those with disabilities who are restrained at school. Another stat says that when black students and white students commit similar infractions, black students are suspended and expelled three times more than white students. And lastly, black students make up 16% of student enrollment, but represent 27% of students referred to law enforcement and 31% of students subjected to arrest. White students, on the other hand, make up 51% of enrollment, 41% of students referred to law enforcement, and 39% of those arrested. So you can see that there is there's something happening there, and all of that deals with education. And then that also goes into the prison, the prison industrial complex. And I mean, all of these systems just overlap. They overlap when you talk about the wealth gap, when you talk about education, when you talk about housing discrimination and redlining, when you talk about um, the prison industrial complex, when you talk about real estate, real estate, it just all like, it's all encompassing. It's like one just rolls into the next. And it's so frustrating. Even when I was doing all this research for it, I was just like, my mind was just blown because you see how you roll out of one thing into another. If you can't, if you don't have the money to send your child to a better school, then they go to a school in a bad neighborhood who may not have the funds or the educators there. They act out in school, then they are more likely to be inside the, um, the word is escaping me right now, basically go to jail, okay, or get in trouble. It's just, it's all bad, it's all bad, it's all bad. So anyway, when we talk about redlining, going back to what redlining is when I mentioned it earlier. So redlining in definition is an unethical practice that puts services, financial and otherwise, out of reach for residents of certain areas based on race or ethnicity. It can be seen in the systematic denial of mortgages, insurance, loans, and other financial services based on location rather than an individual's qualifications or credit worthiness. So I'm going to stop this here because I feel like I've already overloaded you with information and things to think about, but this is going to be part one. I just decided, I'm sorry. This is going to be part one of a two-part what is systemic or institutional racism. Um, we're going to pick this back up on Tuesday, 
our normal time, I promise, 9 a.m. And we're going to go back into redlining, which is going to segue into housing discrimination. And we're also going to get into two other um, institutions that further perpetuate or carry out institutional racism. So I hope that I've given you a lot to think about. I think I have because my mind is racist, okay? Um, All right, so I figured... Also, that before I get out, I do want to add just a small little segment to the podcast, and I'm not sure what I'm going to call it yet. Um, I haven't thought about it yet, but here's one thing to remember. Affirmations don't work unless you do. So don't forget to stay black and carefree, and you can follow us on Instagram at Carefree and Black Diaries or on Twitter at Carefree, B-L-K-P-O-D. That is Carefree Black Pod. Don't forget to stay black and carefree. We'll see you Tuesday at 9 a.m. in the next episode of the Carefree and Black Diaries. (laughs) 